Hey everyone, it's me again, Mats, and welcome to Spoiler Alert, the show where we go all spoilerific on your favorite recent games. With me today I have Gavin Green, our news editor, and guest host Bennett White, also known as Bennett the Sage from ThatGuyWithGlasses.com. Say hi guys. Hey, how you guys doing? <laughs> awesome. I guess Gavin's a little mute. Uh, nope, I'm here. Hello. This time we're actually doing Bioshock 2, as I promised last time. And, you know, uh, it came out, I think it was two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Early February, let's just keep it that. Yeah, so I yeah. think it's fair to say that people have played it by now, if they were going to play it anytime soon. Uh, and so, if you haven't, then it's probably not a good idea to listen to this show. Uh, which or might... if you don't mind spoilers. Yeah. Well, you know, whatever. Um... <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and we're just gonna kick it off. Let's start with our guest host, Bennett the Sage. Go ahead, man. Uh, I go into the game, you know, fresh off of Bioshock. I play Bioshock through uh, just to get myself, you know, remembering how I remembering the game, you know, just so I can get a feel for it. And then I popped in Bioshock too, and by the end of the game, I was just so completely disappointed, like almost cripplingly so. I played it in one sitting. It was six hours. It was so much shorter than Bioshock 1 was. And that, you know, and there was just so much they removed from the game. And what they added was just, I don't want to say inconsequential, because there was some, you know, there was some cool moments with the additions they added, but it was just so not worth it, I don't think. Yeah, but that's basically what I think in a nutshell. That's what I think in a nutshell. We'll, I'll discuss it further as we go on. Uh, Gavin, what about you? Um, well, pretty much the same thing with you. I was very underwhelmed with it as a sequel. It was indeed too short. Um, really, uh, they did all they could with multiplayer for that kind of game, and it just you know didn't exceed its worth. But its worth wasn't very big to begin with. The uh, new additions were pretty much inconsequential, though very nice. Um, they extended the the good parts of the previous game. The design was still there. Um, it just felt very um, washed out. It felt there was it wasn't as dynamic as before. I think that that has a lot to do with the change in villain. Um, but we'll get into that. So again, yeah, I'm underwhelmed as well. But then again, this is coming off a very good pedigree as a game by itself. It's still very good. Yeah, I, I wasn't as disappointed. I was at first. Um, at first, I thought you know ah uh, this is just I just I thought that their you know choice of of start weapons was poor. Because, you know, by the end of the game, the last thing you use all the time is a rivet gun, unless you lay a lot of traps. Mm. Uh, you use, like, the shotgun or, or the, the spear gun. But but all in all, I thought the game was just underwhelming from the start, but it sort of grew on me, and, uh, and I'll get back to why later. Uh, I also want to mention that I think that, you know, they did kind of screw it up when it came to to the whole feel of the game because it is exactly like the first game and it shouldn't be exactly like the first game there should be some sort of new addition at least in terms of you know the the basic atmosphere and style of the game well you when you can't talk about sequels a lot of people bring up that as a sequel it should feel like the first game like if you look at any rock band game or guitar hero game they they feel almost exactly the same as they should but when it comes to games like Bioshock, there has to be some discernible difference, or else it just feels like you're playing like a map extension, like a map pack, or you're just playing, you know, like a extended edition or something. It's just 
for this style of game, there has to be a discernible difference. Yeah, I was actually talking to I was actually talking to Randy about that, and he hasn't played the game, and I described it as basically the ultimate expansion pack, <laughs> uh, and and I think that's pretty accurate because even though it's a full priced game, it really could have been an expansion pack. They haven't done anything with the graphics. Uh, it, it all looks the same. It doesn't look better, and uh, in fact, as time has gone by, it all it really looks worse because now you have other things to compare it to. So, Absolutely. so I mean, yeah, I I pretty much agree. It, it's it should have been an expansion pack of some sort. It, I, some of the designs for the levels were all right. Like if you go to uh, that wasn't uh, hold on, uh, Dionysus Park, and you see like all the reefs that's uh, pretty much taken over the building because it's been underwater for about 10 years. Mm. Uh, and it's... Uh, and I like the, the, the kind of color it brings to the washed-out, almost like Titanic wreck that it has been. So, yeah, in that respect, I think they kind of were able to experiment with the design. But, again, if you actually look at the models, they're better looking. They don't look as plastic as Bioshock 1 was, but it's still not something to write home about. I guess I guess the main complaint I have is that it's still you know the Unreal Engine's limitation in, in terms of you know you could walk up to basically anything, and even though it looked kind of good uh, you know from afar, when you actually looked at it and you didn't have to go that close, you immediately noticed that this doesn't really belong here, you know. It's uh, you, they kind of had to use the Unreal Engine uh, at least for, as far as physics are concerned because of the uh, because of the telekinesis plasmids. Mm-hmm. They would have to use a reliably uh, effective uh, physics engine, like a like a real. Mm-hmm. So Not to I mention all of this, using sort of outdated engines. Mm-hmm. Not to mention they had to continue with the same, um, at least it's the similar degree to what they worked on with Bioshock One, just for the production cycle. This was a very quick game, a uh, quick game cycle for what Bioshock entails or what it, what its pedigree entails. So yep, for it to cut. Go ahead. If you look at it, it was only like two years uh, mm. since uh, the original Bioshock came out. So you, there was a, there was this almost a sort of like, I don't know. It just feels like it, there could have been more time spent on it, maybe extend the level, like extend some of the levels. Like I remember reading in the director's uh, the director's commentary that uh, there was going to be a planned level in the original Bioshock that didn't make it, and I thought, well perfect chance to put it into Bioshock 2, the zoo level. Although why animals would still be alive in Rapture after, what, 10, 12 years of it being in complete desolation is, uh... <laughs> hey, nutri- nutritional plasmids, man. <laughs> oh, maybe they just I mean, ate all the corpses of the splicers. Yeah. You know. It would be, it would be cool to fight against, pla- you know, splicer giraffes or splicer rhinoceros. <laughs> I actually had exactly giraffes in mind as well, so... That's pre- that would that would indeed be pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, you could ride like a like a splicer elephant as you crush uh, little <laughs> splicers trying to get it. That would have been such a great moment in Bioshock too. You, you know, two K really dropped the ball on this. I want to ride a splicer elephant. I will be the splicer Hannibal. <laughs> Well, you guys mentioned uh, levels earlier, and I wanted to talk a little bit, a little bit about uh, the the level design because I thought, it, especially uh, in the earlier levels, it, uh, I, I, you know, um, compared to the first game, there were much more open spaces in this one where you'd 
continually go back and uh, especially with the little sisters uh, having to you know get them from the other daddies and defend them while extracting Adam mm-hmm. uh, you you constantly went back to these places and used these huge set pieces as as uh, as you know fighting grounds basically and I kind of like that part uh, although I, I'd argue that some of them were overly frustrating and some of them were really cool because you could place a lot of traps and stuff like that so what do you guys think about that the the uh, that whole uh, protection mechanic with the little sisters yeah and basically yeah. the places they choose to choose to do them which were the, the, yeah. the placement of it actually I felt was a little random not because it was a it was just just enough to give you space to move around so you could protect it but I don't think the places that they chose to have them there was anything anything to do with some kind of dramatic license. It was just, eh, this gives you the most amount of room to move around. Let's just put the, put the corpse there. So it's structural I, rather than cinematic, right? That's what you're going to... Yeah, it's structural. More, it's more practical than anything. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I actually thought that they kind of... Uh, I mean, yeah, you don't really notice, uh, you know, the huge backgrounds and all backdrops and all that when you're fighting, but, uh, you know, the, the, the major point I was trying to get to is that they, I thought they planned most of them smartly, where you'd have tight bullnecks uh, where uh, enemies would flow in and you could place uh, yeah. trapped art, uh, electrical traps and all that stuff. So, I, I mean, I, I kind of like that part of it, but at the same time, I do have to give them credit for designing this world. Once again, as they did in the first one, uh, that's really cohesive and really, uh, and really uh, you know, uh, sells you the story that you're in this underground place. Yeah. And, and I think uh, the, uh, the switch to more open level designs was a smart move in yeah. terms of um, their decision not to allow you to return to areas. That way, you didn't have to go through all the confusing corridors before you... Because um, if you had the, the level structure of a more Bioshock-oriented game in Bioshock 2, you would have to go through all these uh, confusing corridors again. You have to uh, you know go through the multi-tiered levels mm. and just to make sure you got everything because you couldn't come back. So I think the open level design they chose worked well with that mechanic, although I don't like the actual mechanic of not being able to go back. I think they sort of uh, compensated well with the level design. One thing I want to mention about that not being able to go back, I found, because uh, they do this thing where they put a weapon upgrades machine right before you get a new weapon. So, uh, you know, as, as I was experiencing that, and, and you know, you pick up the machine gun and you find that, oh, I should have saved that weapons upgrade, because now I'm back at the upgrade slot and I could have upgraded my new weapon instead. Uh, I sort of um, started wanting to save the upgrades till I got the new weapon, so I could see if I wanted to upgrade that instead of my current weapons. And because of that, I actually missed one upgrade station, because mm. suddenly I was thrown into a cutscene where they took me to a new level, and I didn't have any control over it. And uh, I find that just poor game design. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a little... Uh, unfair on the developers. I mean, it was right in plain view. I think it—it it was. It, I guess. I guess it was just you were thinking that you could go back to it, but uh, yeah, because I don't know. You I, know, I through the, throughout the game, you usually could. Throughout the game, there seemed to always be this where you would. Uh, get to the weapon upgrade session, station of power for the people, I think it's called. And yeah, yeah, power to the people. Yeah. Fontaine. Uh, yeah, Fontaine. Yeah, and just immediately after, I mean, the, the first one, the machine gun, that's barely five minutes after you, you pass the upgrade station. Mm. You get a new weapon, and that happened three or four times, I think. And, and so I found that really frustrating because I upgraded this weapon I didn't really care about, and then 
afterwards I got this really awesome weapon that I did want to upgrade, but I couldn't do it until next time, which is several, which is several hours from there. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, what, one thing that actually carried on from the original Bioshock that I wish they didn't was how easy the game is. I think Bioshock on the hardest difficulty without using the Vita Chambers fairly simply. You just zap whack your entire way through it. That's all you have to do. You save money by not buying ammo. All the money you all the money you manage together, you just spend on on an even uh, health, and you'll get through the game just just peachy. And same thing with this game. I, I'd I, argue, though. I, sorry for breaking you off. Uh, go ahead. And the, in the second game here, it's the same thing. Zap whack your entire way through. You naturally get, you know, through the game, you get plasmids that increase your power to your drill. You increase your power to your, uh, like, in your drill damage. And I think you, no, 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 you have to buy the drill lurker uh, plasmid. But yeah, yes, I'm halfway through the game right now, and not I have never came into danger dying once. And I'm at to the point, and I'm at the point of the game where it's just so it becomes unfair for the the splicers really because you get so overloaded with atom, and you're and you get so much atom that you don't buy the you've already bought the stuff that's actually useful, and you're spending your atom on like stuff that uh. You get more health from eating random food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but really drop the ball, I think, on that one. I, I think I'd argue, though, that if you want to play the game that way, then it's going to be easier. But if you really want to use all the options you have for you and have a more diverse experience, then it's going to be a little, little bit harder. Yeah, true. I, I, I mean, I found, I found that with this. It should be harder. It should be harder with the step wag, but it's... No, it's just incredibly, incredibly easy. And the research mm. photos make it even more easier. Mm. The, the change they brought to the research camera, that was appreciated. I liked being able to, like, take of some footage of me zapping a zapping a splicer, then lighting them on fire, then whapping them, shooting them, and all having a different... and all adding more to, uh, to the research. Yeah. I felt I was more involved than just taking a picture of them. Because you could take a picture of uh, in the original Bioshock and of like a big daddy, and you didn't even have to fight them. And you could just yeah. like, beep, okay, leveled up, mm. <laughs> level up. <laughs> so, yeah, that was definitely a, a welcome change to it. Yeah, and I yeah. actually I actually started setting goals for myself to to beat mm. the big daddy before the video went out, before the film you know, <laughs> ran out. And that was kind of hard, actually. So yeah. It's hard, but that's why you you kind of have to plan ahead. You you, you start this research camera like maybe when you get them down to half health. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But then you kind of ruin the game off of the top. Yeah, you can start the research camera when the big daddy is fighting random slicers. That's always effective. Hmm. Oh, that's another thing I wanted to mention. Uh, one thing they didn't do in the first game is they they sort of didn't add much to the plasmids as you upgraded them. Oh. Uh, but here, or not the plasmids, but the uh, all the powers, basically. Uh, the, the, up, the upgrades, the upgrades to it. It's just, I can understand uh, not wanting to change some of the more iconic plasmids, like uh, you know, lightning bolt, fire. And that kind mm. of stuff. But what they put there, but well, what they added to it was so. It was either functional to the new mechanics, like, you know, the sisters gather Adam much faster, or, mm. you know, stuff like that, or they gather more Adam when when they're gathering. 
But uh, aside from that, there is I defy you to name one new plasma that you actually use, either gene tonic or an actual weapon. Well, I, I actually wasn't talking about the plasma. I sort of uh, uh, said something wrong there. I, I was talking about the powers themselves. I can't recall exactly what they're called in the game. Uh, you know, the lightning bolt and all that oh, stuff. Oh, that, that's, that's plasma. Those are plasmas. They're plasmas? Yeah. Well, yeah, they're plasmas. Okay, well, yeah, that they're okay, active plasmas. Uh, mm. You know, they did change them, because when you, when you upgraded them, when you bought, uh, you know, lightning bolt oh, yeah, 3, you, you did chain, sli- chain lightning on charge and all that stuff. And I thought that was really awesome, actually, because it gave you this enhanced sense of power, and, and you became yeah. more of a badass. Uh, whereas in the first game, it just gives you more damage, basically. Yeah. It, it, there's a much more um, progressive sense to it all. It made you yeah. feel like you were actually evolving with the ability. But one one point I want to mention before um, I get, you know, I get swung... Um, drug up into the sway of your guys' conversation um, was remote hacking. That was um, that was probably the biggest thing I, I, I liked about the um, the Bioshock 2. It, it was just it was instinctual. It's what I wanted to do in the first game. It's what everyone wanted to do and it was just, it was a common sense introduction. It was a common sense addition but it really just made everything a lot easier for me. Just for some reason hacking was always very difficult for me in the first game probably just just because I'm not really a sh- um, shooter guy for, in general speak but yeah. And uh, you don't hacking. like the game Pipe Dream. Although if anyone no. has paid attention uh, colorblind people can't play it. <laughs> so. Well then again if you're colorblind what are you doing playing video games? Oh there's a lot, a lot of it, believe me. There's a lot of and in particular Bioshock. Yeah. <laughs> but there are a lot of people playing games, colorblind people, because there are a lot of people. Of varying, of varying, uh, yeah, of, of everything's uh, severity, yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, I mean, I mean it, we could talk about the gameplay all we want, and and at the end of the day, I'm just going to say it's, uh, it's improved. I really liked the new weapons. Uh, I thought they, they worked and they make sense for the big daddy to carry. It's not, the big daddy is not going to carry a revolver. He's going to carry a huge fucking mechanical thing. And yeah. it looked cool and it worked. Although the, uh, the rivet gun, the startup gun, poor choice of a startup gun. Uh, it's just so run of the mill. Uh, it, its function is just so. It, it it doesn't really feel good, you know. I don't know if you guys agree or not. It, it, it makes sense for a startup gun. I mean, of all the guns that you could have as a big daddy at the beginning of the game, the rivet gun I think was the best choice. Well, in the first game, you have this badass revolver, and it felt right. It it you know when you shot someone in the head, they usually died from a shot or or, or at least two. Uh, with this, with the rivet gun, it's it's sort of divorced from from everything because it doesn't have that sense of weight, uh, except when you pick it up for the first time. Uh, it doesn't have that, you know. It's a huge, huge gun, but it's it's very bad. It doesn't do any significant damage, and it takes quite a long time until you get the next gun. The next gun is the machine gun, I think, or the minigun, and even that's not that great. The, the, the most significant, you know, the two guns I used the most was actually the shotgun and the and the spear gun, because they felt right, and and I could, you know, kill a splicer in a couple of shots with the shotgun, or even one shot if I was lucky, and with the with the spear gun I could nail people to the walls all the time, and it was just cool. Um, 
the spear gun I felt was just way too, it had to be way too accurate. The spear gun was the uh, Bioshock 2's answer to the original Bioshock's crossbow. And I didn't like the, how you had to be so accurate. Like, if you caught if you caught a splicer off guard, yeah, a spear gun was probably your best bet. But in the middle of a huge fight, the last the last thing you want to use is a spear gun because you have to keep still in order to really be effective with it. And the Actually, last thing you want to stay still. So uh, I'm guessing you guys played it on 360 then. No, I played yeah. on PS3. Oh, I played on PS60. Oh, well, yeah, but I played it on PC, and for me, you know, with the mouse, the spear gun is just awesome, believe me. Uh, oh, wow, okay. well, this is a pretty, this so is a pretty have, um, non-biased game. Yeah. yeah. We have all versions covered in this in this show. <laughs> Very good for us. That on the back. But um, I was wondering if I could move uh, the conversation along a bit. I wanted to um, talk about the breaks and all this uh, combat, which were the underwater uh, sequences outside of, directly outside the city of Rapture. Um, I don't know what people were expecting, but uh, when you take a big daddy and you put him in the water, it's going to be slow. And I actually liked it. It was a nice hmm. break from it. It was a very, it, I wouldn't say visual, but it's a, it's a, it's just a calm experience. I mean, it was very, it was serene. It was very pretty to look at. They did a very good job with um, taking this natural fauna of the of the deep sea and kind of enhancing it with Adam. So it really looked like there was a larger effect to this city. Although I do think they missed a few opportunities with that. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm. That's what I wanted to bring it up for. Well, what kind? What were you guys expecting from that? What kind of missed opportunities? Maybe I had no idea. Big, maybe a big sister fight outside in the water. Uh, how, would, how would you do that though? How would you? Water movement by itself is already slow and impeded. How would you have a a fight and un, directly underwater? You can use your spear gun. You can use your spear gun underwater, and you can jump. So maybe like you're in a. You're in a ruined area of Rapture, and a big sister is trying to attack you, so you have to jump from ravine to ravine, or from, like, pile of rubble to pile of rubble, trying to lure her to maybe, like, a patch of Adam, or maybe an underwater geyser that, you know, periodically spurts up uh, water that damages her. Hmm. Sounds more like a Zelda game, to be honest, but yeah. (laughs) I get what you're saying. You have to use your brain here instead of your bra. Yeah. Uh, I so I, am I the only one that liked the underwater segments as they were? No, I, I did like them, but I do think they missed a lot of opportunities. I, I, I expected, uh, or hoped at least, for a little more of them and, and longer sequences with more exploration. Uh, one thing I started thinking about when you, uh, you... You get to a ridge at one point in one of the earlier ones, and you have to jump down quite a bit to land in a, a sort of uh, valley, you know, yeah. underwater. And... Exactly at that moment, because you use a f- few seconds to actually, you know, travel down the, the the heights. And at that point, I figured, what if you could go at the top of one of the skyscrapers? What if you came out at the top of one of the skyscrapers of Bioshock of of uh, Rapture City, and you jumped all the way down? And while you did, you know, you were floating, and it was a slow jump, but you got to see the whole city, uh, and uh, and you know, whales. With, you know, uh, swimming by. Well, yeah, and it's just uh, that seems like something they should have thought of, and I, I kind of think they did, but they kind of skipped it because it seems so obvious to me. I don't know if it in, does in, for you in guys. In the original one, they had something like that when you're in the blathosphere and you're kind of seeing the the city for the first time. Yeah, yeah, that, but, yeah, absolutely. That was probably that was actually probably my favorite moment of the game, which was kind of bad because them, in but. comparison to that, to like just. Seeing the city from the alcove, from from uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Dionysus. Yeah. 
a like, resort or something like that, mm-hmm. and you just see the city for the first time as uh, Project Delta, you're looking at that and it's like, wow, they, that's a kind of a step down from seeing it from a freaking blathosphere. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, oh, of course, the hardcore out there would say, well, it's Bioshock, it's no system shock. Ooh. Personally, I think it's kind of unfair to make that comparison. They are, yes, there are similarities between both games, and yes, some people have said that it's supposed to be like the spiritual successor to that series of games, but at the same time, you can't honestly expect to for it to um, be fairly compared to that game, because it's in a different setting, it's in a different uh, time period, and they're going for a different feel. It's sort of like comparing Chrono Trigger with Chrono Cross. It's, yes, it's sort of set in the same vein, but you can't expect it to go this go in this direction and still be fairly compared to the first game. Chrono Cross is a is a sore subject for Bennett. <laughs> yes, it is. Or at, least, or at least people's perception of it. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference. Uh, it, it's a spiritual successor, but everything's a spiritual successor to everything these days. It's a decidedly different experience, and I think, yeah, I agree with Bennett that a lot, um, a lot of the comparisons are invalid in what they're trying to compare it with. But I still think, w- along the lines of mods, that there was um, a sense of the grandiose that was missed in mm. the sequel, even when you compare it to the original Bioshock. Although and I think, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sir. Finish. Uh, I was just, I was actually going to round out to another point. I was going to say a lot of the problem that you you miss this grandiose thing is. The same thing, uh, comparative intros. You have the first intro is guided by this very magnetic, very um, op- uh, very large personality with Andrew Ryan. And I just don't think that um, Sophia Lamb, the uh, the antagonist for Bioshock Two, was really comparative as a villain. Not just because she lacked the cohesiveness of uh, Ryan's philosophy and his belief in his philosophy, just because she felt a lot weaker to me. And I think that that's. Uh, Ryan was such a guiding experience for the original Bioshock that when you take that away or you weaken that structure, uh, the sequel appears just that much softer for it. Yeah, and and really, Bioshock One wasn't a game that was planned as a sequel, as a you know for a sequel. And you get this woman, uh, right? And and in the first one, you know, Andrew Ryan created Rapture. He's the big guy. He's the the one to watch, basically. And then in Bioshock 2, you get this uh, Sophia Lamb, which is a psychologist. Uh, but you never actually heard of her until the, first, uh, until the second game. And, and uh, all of a sudden, she's this big deal, and her names are on the walls everywhere, and everyone's all crazy about her. But you don't really know why until a few hours into the game, I think. It depends on how fast you decided to play it. I played it really slowly. But uh, it, it's just... It's disconnected from the world. Uh, it's, I mean, Ryan and Ryan was so connected with everything. He had the, these opinions of the world, and Sophia does too. But, but it's, it's skewed. It's, it's, you know, post Andrew Ryan, and, and it's all reflective of what happened in Bioshock One. Yet it isn't, because they don't really mention the specifics. They just said he's dead, and it's, it's just so uh, unspecific. I, 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 and really, when you get into the vein of her plan with uh, her daughter, Eleanor, it just becomes this... It's almost like a retcon of the first game. When you get into the church uh, that uh, that they built for her, you know, 
Mm. Yeah, she, you know, we're all equal to each other. We're all a family. Yet somehow, uh, Sophia Lamb doesn't mind having a church built to her. Mm. Mm. So, you know, you know, never mind that. Well, you know, Stalin you, had a statue, so you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. So you look at these huge, gigantic uh, portraits, and you recognize them. Like, holy crap, that's Jack from the first game. You know, you can see like the two guys with the wrist, you know, the hands with the chains around their wrists. Tattoos and chains wrists, and you realize like, okay, so her plan is to follow in the footsteps of what happened with Jack by taking away Eleanor's free will and making her into this completely selfless god that will unite everyone under the banner of complete and utter selflessness to the point where everyone will not even it doesn't even register in the brain to even of one as a self. It's just there's someone else. I've got to help them no matter what. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, you have got. I just can I just can't even wrap my head around this sort of complete and utter bullshit ideology. This plan. This is one of the absolutely one of the most asinine, most completely, you know, out in left field villain plan. I've ever experienced in a game. Hmm. That's that's this there's an inherent contradictions. There's an inherent contradictions. Contradiction. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could argue that uh, she's a bad person because she, you know, she spouts up all this, you know, oh, we have to think of everyone else, and yet she's living this completely isolated and completely, I want to say, very, very nice life while all of her followers are just, you know, we're living in the slums, and she's mm. living in a very, very well. She's living in Fontaine Industries, <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty, and that's looking pretty good, you know, comparatively speaking to all the rest of Rapture. But the, but the point is that the game makes it point out that make, makes certain that she really does believe in all of this, and yet there's this inherent disconnect with her that she doesn't address, the game doesn't really address. And it just feels like very poor characterization on that part. I think a and large I think a lot. So, <laughs> I, I think a large part of that is they've chosen to go for the Bioshock series. They've chosen to go with a mute main character, and that's a problem I have with, uh, especially Dragon Age as well. It just doesn't offer the same amount of of you know play. Um, uh, you know they they can't play enough between the characters. They can't explore enough. Uh, you know uh, conversations and and just at, at least the mute character in this game makes more sense as a big daddy. He can't talk. I mean, with the first game, Jack could talk. Yeah. Yet he but, never did. Yeah. And another thing, I, I think, I think another way, reason I at least feel this way is with the first game, I could identify with Andrew Ryan's ideology. Uh, I didn't exactly agree, but I could see where he was coming from, and I kind of agreed with most of his points. Yet with uh, uh, Sophia Lamb, she's just, you know, so extreme, so excessively, you know, you mentioned basically wants to take away free will. You can't really identify with her in any, any way, so you, you can't really, you know, have a connection there. And, and, I missed that from the first game. Yeah, I don't really share. I don't share your guys' adversity to mute characters necessarily, but I think the main issue with the um, comparative philosophies here is that um, there seems to be this con um, this conceited effort on the parks um, part of Two K Marin to go with the exact opposite 
of Andrew Ryan in every yeah. way, while at the same time reflecting upon him within the gameplay. Like, wasn't Andrew Ryan such an awesome villain? They, they, they have, there's so many throwbacks to him, even in the second game. It doesn't even feel like Lamb has an opportunity to take the kind of dominant role within the within Rapture that Ryan took. You have his museum level. You have constant references to him uh, on the walls and graffiti. And Lamb, it just seems like they tried to go so dynamically opposed to Ryan just so they could appear to have this kind of breadth of psychological knowledge in reality, it just feels like the differentiation was too dramatic and not well enough integrated into the actual game or the actual environment. Also, anyone who nice. knows anyone who knows anything about psychology, the thing she says is not supported by any sort of psychological theory of mine True. at all. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's yeah. yeah, they didn't do but their that's, re- but research. That's just giving the game dramatic license. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. I mean, there. Uh, Amaz, you do realize there is no city underwater, right? <laughs> you do realize there's no sea slugs at the bottom of the ocean that can grant but people... But I thought it was real! <laughs> <laughs> no, Moths, no. There's no city underwater that you can escape to when you're older. I'm sorry. Damn. It, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, the original Rapture was just a libertarian metaphor. But yeah, it was such a great one. Um... But, yeah, I mean, just comparatively, philosophically, there was just a lot less oomph this time around. I think that's why the experience for many of us just felt so underwhelming comparatively. Yeah. And not to mention the, the ending. The ending. Oh, not an no. ounce of that ending, ending, rather, is not fulfilled with complete bullshit. I'll start <laughs> with, the, I'll start with the, the, like, the leading up to it. So you find Eleanor, the philosopher. Not in the blackness, sorry, like in this chamber. You're about to mm. try to do Big Sister's attack and blah, blah, blah. I thought that was going to be the ending fight. Why wouldn't it be? So you get, oh, I'm going to save her. Like, no, Eleanor, you know, you know Sophia Lamb busts in, like, you know what? Fuck you. Takes a pillow to Eleanor, stops her heart, and you're dying because the connection between you and the big and your little sister has been severed, and you're slowly going to die. Which they never okay. explained at all. True. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's never really. Well, in the in the uh, Acubox uh, recorder tapes leading up to it, you do kind of figure out that you do have this tentative connection to Eleanor. Yeah, but they they say you do, but they don't. They don't really say how or why. <laughs> well, I don't really they think they could explain it. it. Well, but, they could and, try. I mean, Metal Gear and stuff like that do it all the time. So I mean, it's really possible. It's magic. Well, right, right, yeah, just say right. magic. I'd be. Satisfied. I'll just say something. <laughs> it's science. <laughs> okay. So you wake up. All of a sudden, this little sister approaches you. Like, guess what? Guess what? We have this plasmid that no one has ever talked about up until now that allows you to possess little sisters. And like, why would? All right, all right. This is such an obvious, you know, MacGuffin that it's. They're like, they're um, like a Deus, kind of I would say it's like Machina. Yeah, I'm sorry, Deus Ex Machina. The, the yeah. writers box themselves into a corner. Like, wait a minute, how are we gonna? If Eleanor was in that lab and he's strapped to a strapped to the, the table, how are we gonna finish the game? We can't have the game end like this. Like, oh, uh, he could possess little sisters. Well, well, how? Plasmid. Okay, fine. We'll just you know, he possesses little sisters. You know, people will, people will like it. They'll run around as a little sister. It'll be great. And blah blah blah. Which, by the way, that no, level no. felt like the, um, that level where you actually were, you know, did the possession of the little sister. It felt to me like that level in the first Kingdom Hearts when you play a Heartless. Like, oh, this is kind of quaint, but really didn't do nothing for me. 
Mm. Actually, I thought that the uh, I thought that it was a nice change of pace, and I really liked the uh, the clean. I mean, before the revolution look, uh, I I I want Bioshock 3 to. I thought Bioshock 2 was gonna be that was gonna be this whole before the civil war and or maybe under the civil war uh, re- revolution sort of gameplay where everything would be clean and pristine and uh, and you just you know uh, it was a nice contrast basically yeah it would be interesting well, to live in the utopian years of uh, rapture mm. it would it would be and that's sort of what the multiplayer went for but i'll get you we'll, we'll, we'll get, get to the multiplayer don't yeah. sweat that everybody we're going to get to the multiplayer we're going to get to the multiplayer but so you go through this almost five battle long ending sequence. It, it was worse than the ending to Lord of the Rings, where there was like twenty different endings. Fought <laughs> <laughs> like a final battle like seven times over the course of this ending level, and it just felt like it, there was no urgency. Yeah, people were yelling at you like she's gonna blow up Rapture, but like really, it's been like thirty minutes. Really, Rapture hasn't so much as sank. I don't think we really need to hurry. I think Sophia Lamb is just a gigantic, you know, pussy here. She, she's not man enough to press that button and destroy Rapture. No way. I'm going to take my sweet-ass time saving your ass. <laughs> Nonetheless. Yeah. So depending on your actions of the game, either Eleanor is um, a complete bitch or she's really a good person because she's reflecting off you. And by the time that you're, you know, the, the escape pod rises up, you, she either kills, uh, she either outright kills her, lets her die, or saves, her, saves the Sophia Lamb from drowning, and then finally, you get absorbed one way or another into Eleanor, and you basically p- possess Eleanor, and that was just such a. God. Wait. Then his head exploded. See what happened to me was that Eleanor killed me. Yeah, either Eleanor killed you by absorbing you, her into you, and stuff like that. But there is one ending that I actually found to be actually kind of poetic. Actually, that would have been the best ending. It's definitely the best ending, if anything, because it has the least amount of bullshit. <laughs> you, it's when you kill a lot of little sisters, but you save a lot of little sisters. So you kind of have this choice whether you want to let let yourself be absorbed into Eleanor, or do you refuse it? And if you refuse it. She kind of actually, you know, know, she kind of lets go of her uh, needlepoint and you die watching her, you know, watching her wipe her tears away because she's really all alone. Her mother's dead, her father's dead, but in the end she kind of gives herself hope because maybe if he allows her, you know, he did a selfless act before he died, maybe even she can be redeemed. And that's, and I felt like, that's an ending. That's an appropriate ending to this game. Mm. Not this bullshit like, I'm going to be, you know, absorbed into you, and I'm going to be you. See, yeah, uh, you know, for I did the evil uh, thing, or what I did actually, I I, I did the opportunistic one where I uh, killed all the little sisters, but I didn't bother killing, you know, uh, unarmed people, because what do I care? They're not a threat to me, so... Um, but, but... Uh, what happened to me, the way I took it was that she really did, you know, uh, absorb your personality. And I thought that was a little, you know, stupid, uh, silly, basically. Uh, you don't do that. Uh, and and it worked to reflect the morality of the game, which was really poor, by the way. And mm. I, I did kind of enjoy the, the, the final ending where she kills you. 
I thought that was because uh, she says she has one line where she says I you taught me how to live and you taught me all these uh, instincts and I'm not gonna let your instincts go to waste and then she kills you I thought it was that was a nice touch but but uh, obviously I haven't seen the good ending so I don't really know how to compare it but um, well, I, I will say that the good ending has the best music to go along with it it does kind of jerk a tear from you but that's because of the music not because of the actual ending hmm. <laughs> I think we've I think we've actually I don't know how we've gone this long without speaking of it, but yeah, I did want to touch about um, the moral choice system in the game because I thought it was completely flawed. I mean, um, the, the first game had this um, was as bland and dichotomous as you can possibly get. Either you were you know as Yathi said, Mother Teresa or baby eater. But this one they kept it, but it it kind of like regardless of which one you chose the end result for you would be the same. Because if you saved all the little sisters, you would then be rewarded with an amount of atom that would be significant enough, um, the equivalent, or e- perhaps even more in some cases, than if you had killed each individual sister to get more atom with each uh, with each sister. Mm. Um, because of taking the, the, how yeah, easy the, the game is, and because of how easy the game is, you're really in no, you know, real pressing mood to... Yeah, you're not, um, you're not hurting for atom like you were in the first you're not, game. You're never hurting for atom. Not only do you get the amount of atom you would have gotten had you killed and harvested the little sisters, but you also get special ammo. You get special plasmids. It's a much better, it's so much more, I'll say this, it's easier to be good than it is to be evil. And that should not be the way it is in gaming. Good. Oh, Taking the Impressive. Bennett, Bennett is a very pious gamer. He, ta- he takes he takes so much pride in doing the good thing regardless. <laughs> well, it's true though to life. It's it's much easier to be a bastard than it is to be a nice guy. I know that myself because I'm a bastard. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why it should be much more fun to be evil in games, so we don't have to be evil in life. We get yeah. to live vicariously. But yeah, I mean, yeah, just, that's at, that, at the point of Bioshock Two. I've never had fun being the evil bastard in gaming. I've all, I don't know why. It just never never really appealed to me. And that's why you're a loser. But regardless, I mean, the way they structure the moral choice in Bioshock 2, there's just, it, it completely evaporates before you. There, that, that degree of gravitas that you had whenever you picked up a little sister and had the dual button prompt option, there's just nothing there. It's the complete disconnect emotionally. And I think that was a major fault. That's probably one of the core reasons why they're, um, why Bioshock 2 is so much inferior to Bioshock 1, and I use that word very loosely. Mm. Well, I think, I think the main reason they did this was to be able to, to have that gut-wrenching feeling when you first take the life of a little sister and she screams for daddy and, and you know, no, no, no. I, I, I found that powerful the first time, uh, but then when you, when you do it, you know, 15 times and you get the same exact sequence over and over and over again, it just gets tedious. Um, I'll, give the, I'll give the designers credit when, when like, the little sister goes, Daddy, you always save me from the monster. You know, that kind of very tug-at-the-heartstring, yeah. very emotionally manipulative kind of uh, dialogue. Yeah. Works, but that's because you know what? It's just so insipid. Looking at yeah. a girl, having them call her like a parent, and not kind of. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just it's insipid, but it plays to the exact emotional pitch that we need. And to that degree, the little sisters are still they still can contain this kind of um, morbid um, oddness about them. This kind of uh, 
slight d dementia to them that was really probably one of the most fun aspects of the first game like especially when the trailers the tra you watch the you watch the Bioshock trailers for the little sisters because that first trailer that came out and at the end uh, they voice over with little sisters like big sister doesn't like you playing with me mm. like yeah it, it, it I mean you can get, you can get across it in dialogue but when it actually comes up to the emotionally hardcore stuff I think Bioshock 2 just fell the fuck down from Bioshock 1. It just, like, it just took what it had, messed it up completely, and there was just nothing left to, uh, compensate. Well, and the whole... The, 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 you go. The whole game has this... has this... both Bioshock 1 and 2 has this whole, uh, you know, you don't want to look, but you can look away kind of feel to it. Uh, mm. you know, with the little sisters, uh, with the way, you know, they're innocent but not, and... And really creepy, and and yeah, with the with the uh, enemy enemy design and the splicers with the tumors and the, you know the visceral stuff. Uh, it's just uh, they they seem to be really going for this whole uh, edge of reality uh, kind of look, mm. which I really like. Definitely, some design aspects that are cool. And the uh, the protection mission that you have to go. Uh, with the uh, yes, I can. All right, I give it, I give the game credit for making it a little bit more involved than just you know save her or kill her. It wasn't exactly an escort mission. Yeah, that I'll agree to. It wasn't just. It, an it, it, it was certainly much more involved in the first game, and I applaud the game on that. But at the end, it really, God, it was just so repetitive and monotonous. Mm. When you when you actually get right down to it, first few times, it yeah, it was kind of fun. But now, like towards the end of the game, like. Ugh. And I don't, I don't know how this was on the console versions because you probably have some auto aim there, but it was really hectic for me. I didn't oh, know yeah, what was hectic. going on most of the time because you have security bots flying everywhere, big daddies, brutes, splicers all over the place, jumping, throwing stuff from the roof, and at the same time you have to make sure no one's near the little sister hitting her, uh, it's uh, or trying to take her away. Uh, and and you know the 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 parts I found was fun was where you could adequately prepare where you could lay down traps and you could basically yeah, just, yeah, exactly. just, just mow down the people in the bottleneck and and, and and lay down traps. I thought that was good. That encouraged planning and 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 you know uh, thought from your side. But there were other times where you were just in this big open area where you couldn't really prepare at all. You know, there wasn't really any places you could place traps because they, they could come from all angles and and from the roofs and and all that stuff. Especially when you get the the later in the game where you, where you get the hanging splicers. Uh, it's <laughs> they sort of got it, but then left it. You know? Yeah, I, I have the same problem with the um, little sister Adam Tower defense game that um, Bennett had with the um, just the combat in general. I found myself going into this routine instinctively, and it, that's where the monotony came from. It's like, okay, here's a corpse. Before I set the little sister down, do a perimeter of it, do the perimeter of the room, put trap rivets, put trap rivets, trap rivets around the corpse when I put down the little sister, uh, hijack, hijack any security bots that are around, and sit, ne sit near an oil puddle waiting, waiting for her with a fire plasma. Mm. And just after a while, it's just it it just gets ridiculous. It's kind of, and like you said, a lot of them kind of force this kind of mentality where it's like you gotta prepare, 
and then you prepare and then you get into this routine this habit and it just uh, it quickly just becomes this tedious um just felt like this hacked on tacked on limb to the game and the fact that it just kept going on and on and on this didn't seem like something you had to do more than half a dozen times in the game total completely done six times that's probably the max but just oh after um like ben said after the third time you're you're just so sick of it and it just doesn't end up it doesn't it doesn't let up yeah there's basically there's basically three little sisters for each level i think yeah. there's six or seven levels in the game yeah and and uh, you do that two times per little sister so yeah just mathematically, that hurts my head. <laughs> it just, I'm just living it right now. I'm having post-traumatic stress disorder from these damn but, missions. But I will disagree. I did like, because I am the the calculating kind of guy. I like planning out the scenarios and, and placing traps. I like that part, but I hated it when they took that away because it made the whole thing way too chaotic and I didn't know what was going on. And I was mm. tossing plasmids left and right and, and just firing you know on anything that moved and I didn't really get to enjoy the experience um, it wasn't that I was stressed or it was a, a, a you know a thrilling fight it was just so ununderstandable it was just mm. you know you you didn't you couldn't tell what was going on and it was over before you knew it but but you know it's just it it didn't do anything for me mm. well what about the other big uh gameplay oh, yeah. into the game, which is the of course big the sister, uh, big big sister big fight. Sister fight. Yeah. Uh, which happened which happened right after you did the uh, the last little sister in the level, which was my major problem with the big sister fights. What was the hype for them? They would attack at any moment. You have to be ready constantly for the big sister. And it was the most predictable thing in the damn game. It's like, it's like and they even okay, had a little text box that popped up. Big yep. Fight. Big sister's coming. Hmm. Don't be make sure to be prepared. And it's just like this it didn't seem like what I was promised. And yeah, I mean, no, go I think that was a complete bald-faced lie on the developer's part. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, it's like to complain like that. It was like, oh, it wasn't what I was, uh, wasn't what I thought I was gonna get. That in itself is not a necess- uh, not a decent complaint. But um, it is when the they say that that's what you're gonna get. Yeah, and considering what the big sisters are, how they're de- how they're designed, how they're developed, and where they attack you, it se- it just seemed like it was more it was less of an assumption and more of an expectation. And just to be let down in, in such a routine way, and just have it reduced to these kind of like um, completely predictable outcomes, it just felt like they shot themselves in the foot. It, I mean, it, it, it's it's silly, really. The first two little sisters, uh, big sister fights, you didn't know about, uh, and yeah, that was course. cool because you get one almost immediately, and then you get one the first time you do the. Uh, uh, you know, you you extract extract the atom and, and yeah. kill the little scissor or saber or whatever, and and those two times are cool. Those are really thrilling, but after that, it's like you said, it gets monotonous. But I just that, another point about that, it doesn't make any sense because because Sophia Lam obviously knows where you are at all times because she's constantly talking about you, talking to you, commenting on what you're doing, and and uh, so do obviously then the big sisters. So why stop you after the deal is done? Mm-hmm. It's just why not try to save the little sister or try to get her from you? Why 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 sudden, suddenly just go balls out crazy after the deal is done? You know it it makes no sense. And again and again and again because there's seven levels 
or six or whatever. It it just it's it's once again dismissed from the world, dismissed from the main story, and it, it ruins the game for me. Mm. At least that part of it. And is it just me, or does Sophia Lamb, like the dumbest psychologist who ever lived, I mean, yes. the dumbest supposedly smart person who ever lived, yes. she goes constantly like, "You're just a dumb golem, or you know, you know, so you know, selfish golem who doesn't know, you know, crap or anything like that." And then, like, when you go throughout the game and you're acting like pretty good, and like maybe you don't kill the NPCs and stuff like that, she's still like somehow convinced that you're evil, <laughs> like, or you're. Would you kill a defenseless woman? No. You'd still kill a defenseless woman. Big sister is the hand of the family. You won't survive I killed five big sisters already. How are you? You're the most rock stupidest, supposedly smart person ever. It's like she's screaming over the mi- uh, over the microphone uh, the entire game. Don't uh, don't screw with my preconceived notions. Yeah. It's just like she has, she has this narrative that you just can't. It's just so inflexible, and it really is ridiculous. Like Ben said, that, um, technically I was evil, so her opinion of me um, was kind of appropriate. But I I can see it. It just didn't. It felt but like, like if I was you act good. It's, it's like even that's another thing that strikes against the mold choice system. Your actions in game really don't reflect on all of the other characters up until the end. Mm. True. And that was a problem with the first game too. There wasn't really a, a sense of larger narrative effect of the of your moral choices until the end. So that was definitely something they didn't improve. But Ben, uh, what was your opinions of the fights themselves? Like, was it like as, the them- as awesome as the Big Daddy fights were in Bioshock One? I I, mean, I thought it was. I thought they were fluid. I thought they were you know um, engaging. I I didn't think they were you know over the hill amazing. But it was a lot. They were a lot of fun. When, the first so big times. sister fights, uh, depending on where you, where you were, like the first big sister fight was fun because you know that again unexpected. But um, you know, towards the end of the game, it kind of got into a rigmarole of just using telekinesis on whatever you happen to have. Just yeah. you know, telekinesis and just throw their firebolts back at them. That's basically the best strategy against the big sisters. Mm. And big that is for that man. Eh, not so much the big daddies, depending on the big daddy, actually. Yeah, you get the rocket launcher guy, that's just telekinesis all the time. Uh, uh, another thing I wanted to, to mention is, you know, in the be- beginning of the game, you get it reintroduced to Tenenbaum, which was this doctor in oh, the yeah. first game that, that basically invented the little sisters, and where did she go? Uh, half an hour into the game, she disappears, and you never hear from her again. She's just this introducing, introductory person that just disappears and has no impact on the game whatsoever. Yeah, she has her cameo and then walks off screen. She was like yeah. Pyramid Head in Silent Hill: Homecoming, just like da 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 da. Hi, yeah, and I'm gone. Exactly. But for me, it was it was actually kind of weird because she says, uh, "This is why I must fight Sophia Lamb." Later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I'll give the designer credit, you know, when Sinclair uh, kind of like, now listen here, sport, you might get enough items where I just save them, little sisters, and Dan and Mom will probably pat you on the head, but this here's a high-stakes town, and if my feminine southern accent hasn't told you yet, I'm quite the evil douchebag, so why don't you go ahead and strangle that little sister right in front of me while I masturbate? But uh, you can't... And then by the end of the game, he's just, you know what? He's not actually a bad guy. Yeah, he, you know, kind of encourages you to kill the little sisters and kill all the NPCs, but no, he's not really a bad guy. He genuinely values your friendship. 
It's just... He genuinely values it. It's like, wow, uh, I thought he was going to be evil, but he's a little weird. You know, masturbating over the corpses of the children, but no! <laughs> what game did you play, Bennett? No, but this, um, this kind of harkens back to probably the the most, um, I don't want to say offensive, but the most, the, 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 pro- the biggest problem I had with Bioshock 2 that affected my personal tastes, which was the drop in audio presentation. The first one, every single audio tape you picked up, the accent was perfect, the the pitch was perfect, it was delivered great, it was emo- it was emotionally stable. This one you get, especially with Sinclair, it's like, I'm so I'm southern up the ass, and you're just like, yes, I get it. There's just, um, this one is just like, chewing scenery, the sequel. It's just everyone have an accent in Rapture? And just like, not just the same accent. Not the same accent. They all have different. I get it. It's a multiple, multicultural town, but you don't have to have like uh, the audio tape separated by culture. Uh, like it's the UN. It's like every time you pick up a tape, you, you get like like a audio tape from a different language. It, it it just seems so random, and it's and just every single time, no matter what the accent, it's like they're so histrionic in their delivery that it completely ruins whatever they were trying to say in the first place. Although I did like the professor. Uh, I mean, yeah. There's exceptions. I'll get. I'll yeah. grant exceptions. Sinclair, his his personality, you know, what made the chewing of scenery reasonable, but it was too consistent throughout all. I like all the idea of the midtown huckster getting inside Rapture and just like, I reckon all that Rapture's just a big old whore who don't know the difference between a wooden nickel and a genuine mint. So I just sat in my little closet whittling nickels and made myself a millionaire and uh, fuck everything that new. <laughs> I think Bennett needs to be in Bioshock 3. Yeah, just like so as, as him. I think, yeah. Um, well, well, one thing I want to mention as well, um, that, you know, we can talk about the multiplayer and all that, but uh, with, with, with Bioshock 2 and with all the actors and with all, all of these characters... Did you guys feel that they didn't provide enough backstory compared to the first game to all the different, you know, what I guess would be bosses? Well, I think uh, the first game kind of set up all the backstory you really needed. I mean, yeah, actually, true. like, bare minimum you needed. Yeah. And any more of that would just kind of, inter- I think, would kind of interfere with the history set up by the first game. So, I, I tend I, to agree with that. I, I mean, they still co- they were coasting on Bioshock One throughout the entire game. So this, the fact that they just kept with what they built up in Bioshock One was no surprise. Um, just a general note to everyone: uh, I think I made it. In my I did it in the review for the site too. Playing Bioshock One is more integral to the enjoyment of Bioshock Two than you think. Yeah, it really it really is. Like uh, like we've been saying, it's an expansion pack. Say all what you want, you really need to have played Bioshock One. Well, just because of the it's main... It's actually kind of ironic, because if you play Bioshock 1, you can't help but be disappointed by Bioshock Yeah. <laughs> They're kind so of setting it, themselves up to fail here. You have to set itself, you have to set itself up for failure in order for it to succeed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> How philosophical of them. That was their true philosophy here. <laughs> the true psychology of Sophia Lamb. All right, actually, Success can only be found through failure. We didn't actually talk a little bit, uh, much about that, so I want to quickly mention that. What did you? What are your opinions on the the actual philosophies in, in both Bioshock One and Two? So, so what sort of things do you th- think has some value and what doesn't? Well, when I agree with Ryan in that you should 
keep what you make. I've never been a big fan of uh, any kind of uh, like taxation, like overt taxation, other than just you know if you if you use the roads, you do have a sort of obligation to help take care of the roads. So taxing for like road upkeep and stuff like that that makes sense. You know, it's just sort of like this idea of ownership and this idea of taking care of what you own, taking personal responsibility over what you use and what you care for. And and what but, you expect from, you know, what you expect from services and stuff like that, obviously, so. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as the lawlessness is concerned, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Guns and vending machines, uh, like plasmids that can set people on fire, comes with an instructional video telling you to set people on fire. You cannot honestly okay. expect that they would not. It may show someone put uh, doing on fire, but that's just you need to you need to have the video dramatic so people uh, you can get the effect across in a short amount of time. I'm sorry, this is the advertiser in me coming up. I can justify anything. So go on. <laughs> So you know, lawlessness aside, I can underground, I underground, understand the uh, the economic and uh, the economic feasibility of his argument. Keep what you make, and uh, and everyone is happy. You pay for what you can't make, and you, and the guy who can make it is all the more richer. And the, the money he'll make will go towards you know helping people to give him stuff that he can't make. It's it's that idea of uh, the butcher, the baker, and the was a brewer, I believe, in the what was it, Adam Smith's uh, capitalist societies. Uh, oh yeah, it's Smith economics. The high yeah. tide floats yeah. all boats. The high tide floats all boats. Everyone can have it, has a chance to, you know, make themselves happy and wealthy. Of course, invisible hand of the, the market. Way yeah. He went about it. The way he went about it, it was just so. You would have to be a prodigy in whatever area that could be marketed in order to really thrive in Rapture. You would have to be like a genius engineer like Ryan, or you would have to be like the top uh, competitor in all of the land, just like, uh, um, God, who was that uh, artist guy again? Oh, yeah, Vander Cohen. Cohen, right. Uh, yeah, the yeah. one the one Jew in Rapture. He was a Rapture fire guy, guy, wasn't there? He was a what? He he really used a lot of fire plasmids, didn't he? I don't recall. Well, it's the same. He was basically a Houdini splicer, and yeah. all of Houdini splicers just used like fire bolts, just yeah, sort okay. of like the big sisters. Yeah. But anyway, like yeah, you have to be like a genius artist, like Sandra Cohen, to really uh, thrive in Rapture, and not everyone can do that. This yep. is this is a town for the extraordinary. This well, is, you know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you're not extraordinary, you're probably going to end up like a pauper's drop. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think I think the the reasoning behind that is that it's it's an enclosed environment with a set number amount of people, and and these these grandiose um, services don't you know you don't need more than one engineer or you don't need more than one uh, artist because you know there's not enough people to appreciate more than one artist anyway. Anyway, so so it's it's uh, I, I kind of see why that is, um, and and you know it just in the philosophy of the game, uh, I do agree that it's it's this it's this whole class um, class separation uh, thing really reinforced in Rapture just because you have this whole separation of the elite, um, but I do agree mainly 
with the uh, uh, you know Andrew Ryan's philosophy that you know religion is 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 just another way to control people and just another way to usurp free will basically and uh, well, the, the biggest thing that I agree with Ryan is that those with exceptional talents should not be you know limited and should not be you know restrained just for the comfort of those who cannot yeah you know Ryan was a genius and you know no doubt about that but you know having so many government agencies and having so many uh, social rules and laws to restrain him from basically doing what could benefit the entirety of humanity is complete foolishness. And I actually think um, one of the main points Ryan plays off in in Rapture One and and in if you go through his museum in Rapture in, in sorry in Bioshock Two is that. Uh, is the scientist side that scientists were always limited by the regulations and the, the especially the religions and and Barshak one came out of the time where stem cell research research was especially a hot button in, in especially America and and I thought that sort of um, was kind of re- yeah reflected that whole situation mm-hmm. and, and I do agree that 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 is a big problem in but that that uh, parable was completely uh, transparent. What with that AccuVox uh, diary of Dr. Steinman doing? So you see, it's not like killing a killing a person, like uh, you know, freaking Tannenbaum said. It's like removing a patient from life support who has a terminal illness. <laughs> but that's uh, yeah, that was obviously put there just to you know, just to say, hey. You know, this is what we. This is our argument for stem cell research. Yeah, <laughs> I think in analyzing comparative philosophy as presented in Rapture, it's da- it's dangerous to just go in and to say, um, you know, what you agree with and sort of how it's presented because um, the, these aren't indicative of the actual philosophies that they claim to be part of. This, the, the danger, the dangers, the dangers of Bioshock. Of Bioshock philosophy is not the philosophies themselves, but when the philosophies when taken to the extreme and misrepresented as well. I mean, in Bioshock yes. 2, you have a socialist, a communist that uh, loves very religion. Different. Loves very religion. different mods cannot cannot mix socialism with communism. Very. Yeah, I, I know, I know, but she's a little bit of both. True. True. She's she is, not, she's she wants not, to have everyone as low socialist yeah. because she's a communist, or a communist because she's yeah. socialist. She's both. Uh, and that's why it's kind of yeah. Uh, and I myself live in a largely socialist country, uh, a socialist capitalist country, uh, democracy, and and it works well. Believe me, uh, mixing capitalism and so- socialism is a, a good idea. Believe me. Uh, oh wow! Controversy but, alarm. We should have like a we well, have extra know, mild, mild socialism, not you know taking to the extreme. Uh, healthcare, for example, we have free healthcare. It works great. <laughs> Because we also have private practice healthcare. Uh, just you know, the 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 government is just another competitor in the field and forcing. So in that case, you really can't consider it social. But again, I don't want I, I don't want to go into well, this because we'll be talking about for hours. Yeah, I, I think we're going into philosophy here, and a that's not something people tune into this for, mm. and it would something we need to add like additional warnings for. Yeah. But really, I think the main concern is that we don't want to go on too long with this. But again. Like I said, the philosophies in Rapture are not dangerous for the philosophies themselves, just when taken to the extreme and misrepresented by people claiming to be a part of them. Which is and kind of now like to multiplayer. <laughs> and now, the more you know, and now to multiplayer. Yeah. Um, who wants to start? I'll, I'll, I'll start. 
as far as FPS multiplayer is concerned, it has its usual, you know, the usual uh, staples of gameplay, you know, capture the flag, its own spin on capture the flag, standard team deathmatch, free for all deathmatch and territories and stuff like that. But I think the introduction of Plasmid does give it a necessary identity to it. I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, seeing a guy run away from me, but then just freezing him in place with uh, an ice plasmid, that does, it's quite satisfying. And then getting up close to him and then blowing him away with a shotgun. The, the problem I have with the basic idea, I haven't played uh, the uh, the multiplayer yet, so I'll be sure to oh, try it out. But you'll be uh, quiet and sit in the corner. Well, I'm just going to mention some impressions I've had from hearing people talk and... and uh, and viewing videos and stuff like that. I, I, it's it's cool in principle, and I've played a lot of multiplayer games with these kinds of powers. Um, uh, there was one on 360, I can't remember what it's called, because uh, I only had it for like two days. Uh, something, something, shadow, whatever, monster thing. Uh, but, but, but the main problem is they can never seem to balance it proper, properly. Hmm. And it always just becomes a clusterfuck, so... I don't know. Did you guys experience any of that? Yeah, I don't think so at all. It was, unbalanced. it was unbalanced when I played it, but that's also. But I think the kind of the extraneous powers kind of have their own way of balancing out. I don't know what you expect. It's just that it was when in chaotic games like Capture the Flag, if you know where, if you know, if you see the kind of patterns people use with plasmids, you can kind of work your way around it, like. No matter who, like, everyone who has, like, the electric plasmids tend to hang out around the water area because you're able to... Yeah. Mm. But, uh, so if you avoid, if you avoid, like, where you know, like, people where, the, where there's a lot of water, you can kind of compensate for it. It requires a different amount of strategy than, uh, a different amount of strategy for, uh, your usual FPS frag fest. So, and I think I, it, it could bring out a new way of thinking about the, you know, mm. online... And this is coming from a guy who really does not like to play online, per, you know, FPSs. Mm. Mm. Um, I think there is an inherent balance to the plasmids. I think they each have individual strengths and weaknesses. I think the um, the unbalance comes to uh, when people spam them. And, and indeed, having something in a game that can be spammed is a, is a dysfunctional game um, gaming mechanic. But I think with what they had, it was as balanced as it could be. And I had a lot of fun with it. Like Bennett said, it was just it, there's a lot more strategy to it. It felt at times like you're playing like plasmid poker, like a really detailed card game. Like someone came to the table with your fire, so you um you know so you just dodged, uh, you you just countered appropriately. So there was a uh, there was a real sense of one-upmanship. There was a real sense of um strategic uh, strategery uh, strategy to it. And um, I think while that you know flavored the experience for the first few times after the the effect of the plasmid after the the joy of the initial joy of using plasmids wore off you got probably another dozen matches before you really just it lost its flavor mm. so, so i mean there wasn't from, anything from the perspective of a guy who doesn't really play fps online <laughs> so, yeah indeed so i have uh, one statement and two questions for you guys um I'll begin with the questions. Uh, with the plasmids, uh, are there the diminishing returns so you can chain free someone, for example? Mm, well, that depends on your leveling up. You, as you level up, you get access to more powerful plasmids, more and more variety of plasmids. But I, if I remember correctly, you only get two slots for a plasmid. I believe so. Yes, I believe so. I'll, I'll set up a spin on that. Yeah. Okay. Keep in um, mind. 
I haven't really, I haven't really gotten too powerful yet. Maybe at like a certain level, you can get three plasmas instead of two. Mm. Nevertheless, I'm just saying that's, that, that it's, it's pretty not like you have access to every plasmid in the entire online experience. Yeah, but is there a limitation? Hmm. Uh, and 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 another thing, uh, one thing that I always thought would be kind of cool with multiplayer, even though I haven't played it yet, is is just the um, the the possibility of team play with plasmids. So imagine, uh, and I don't know if this is possible or not, but imagine someone sets your teammate on fire and you use the frost uh, freeze uh, thing to put out the fire on your teammate. Is that possible without you know freezing him for ten seconds? Is is that um, kind of team play possible? Well, I, if you freeze someone and any attack gets him, he's automatically out of frozen. That's how it works. Yeah. That's how the online thing works. So I'd imagine that if you set him on fire when he's frozen, he'll, um, you know, he'll just snap out of the cold. But in terms of the reverse, I actually never did experience where someone was on fire, and I had the peace of mind to actually freeze them. Me, it was just like I just went forward and killed anyone who was not on my team. So there really wasn't a team aspect well, well, to it. Can you though? Can you even use plasmids on your teammates? Like multiple plasmids at one time. I think if you have the right team mentality, like if you have someone who's like your friend, and you had like this kind of back and forth, like okay, I'm gonna freeze them, and then you do this. Mm. And I think yeah, that's possible. But again, that requires kind of communication, like predetermined communication, like I don't know. So, so it's so it's a potential kind of thing. Then. It, it's a potential. I could definitely see the potential there. But yeah. as far as actual, like, does the game kind of goad you into that kind of combat? Not in the slightest. I never experienced that. Mm. Oh, and another advancement to the multiplayer that was made, aside from the plasmids, was the uh, the precariously placed um, big daddy suit. Which automatically oh, yeah, turned. Well, not available on all of them, of course, but it really did have an effective turn to the battle that really gave it another layer of strategy to it. I mean, when you pick up the big daddy suit, you were the badass. And it, a lot of times it required, you know, a lot of communication on opposite teams or, regardless, um, some, communica- some communication on even free for all to take you down. Because if you, because uh, if you don't take that down, the big daddy, and you don't ha- get help. He can take e- each one of you out individually. I mean, it's there's a, uh, it's powerful, but there's a, again, it's balanced well. So yeah. I, th- I thought that was a really nice addition to it. Yeah. And uh, and let's not forget the the always uh, ubiquitous camera gameplay aspect. If you kill a if you kill a guy, you uh, kill one of the players. You can take a little uh, five second photo of him, and you get a damage bonus against him up until yeah. either you die or take another photo of another dead person. Yeah. Or become the big daddy. That's so it's, it's that like seems a, really unbalanced to me then, because then, you know, actually uh, no. If, if you, you die, die taking, taking that time to take the photo is something that is very difficult to do in most matches. So the a bit, the bit you really have to wait for the benefit when you take the photo. You're defenseless yeah. when you take the photo. Still though, if you die, you just you you get less of a chance to make the the next you know round or whatever. So you, well, you that's all, but that's also counting the bit, counting in like. Being able to survive, like that guy surviving up until to face you again, him not yeah. becoming big daddy, and him taking a photo of another person. You can't, yeah. you can't, you can only have one. You can't have, like, I killed that guy, now I have two joint damage bonus. No, you lose yeah. one. It's like, um, it's like an instant perk. Mm. It, it's for one person only. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I like that actually. 
so, so w one point I w kind of wanted to bring the, up while we round out this whole multiplayer thing is, uh, you guys mentioned that you're not really big FPS players, multiplayer or single player for that matter. Uh, so, what I am, and I know a lot of people that are, and most of these people are, you know, two game, three game kind of. It's the typical Counter Strike, uh, Call of Duty, or or Battlefield type of player. And what I've heard a lot of them say is that these kinds of multiplayer games, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Uncharted, uh, Bioshock, any game that's that's really single player oriented, but they suddenly have this multiplayer. Although it's functional and although it might be good, there's there's just just this whole uh, mentality that that they don't play that multiplayer. They play those games for single player, and then they have these set multiplayer games they go to. Uh, so so. Do you guys think that Bioshock or any game like this will ever stand a chance in in sort of uh, bridging that gap? Oh hell no! Well, you you look at you look at a, a lot of the multiplayer staples. You know your Team Fortress, your Counter Strike, it, you know, the games that people will go to mm. to you know for competitive online play. But you look at what they actually are. You know they're the staples. They're just like the staples. You know Team Deathmatch. Uh, you know capture the flag, what have you. And you wonder, and I personally, that's what I do, and I wonder what are, what is the appeal of the, of this multiplayer? Is it because it's perfectly balanced? Well, yeah, but, so, well, yeah, but why just these, though? There are tons of other multiplayer, online multiplayer, first-person shooters that are just at balance, and they come with a lot more interesting gameplay mechanics, yet they never receive the kind of competitive attention, they never receive the kind of hardcore support that these online first-person shooters get. And I'm wondering why. Is it just well, because they were the first and therefore, you know, they just get fan favoritism? Well, a lot of things I've, I've heard about this type of thing, especially for Uncharted, and I experienced that myself, I'm not too usually too good on consoles and online games. But at Uncharted, I was top of the line. I was the best on almost every map. And and I find that these kinds of games, they change things up so much that the skills you learn from, from um, you know, uh, Counter-Strike or Call of Duty, they don't translate at all. So everyone is on an even playing fields. And that's why I think guys like you maybe enjoy this kind of stuff a little more, as well as the extra features and all that. It's because you you are put on this even playing field with everyone, and you don't have the you know 15 year old kill kid in the grandmother's basement who's you know played this kind of game you know for you know 20 hours a day. So you get this sort of uh, you know blank slate to go from, and I think a lot of people appreciate that. But then that sort of whittles out, and as people become better at the game. You know the people who the few people who devote a lot of time to it, then you sort of create this. You, you sort of fill the slate again, and everything is reset, and the next game comes out, and you do the same thing with that. That's, that's sort of an un, unavoidable uh, point. You yes, but that that count, does not happen. You can't with, discount people, you know, playing the hell out of these kind of games. Yes, but my point being that that does not happen with these games that are so similar, and you know they're similar to their disservice and to their service. Whereas, you know, Battlefield and Call of Duty are really similar because they, you know, uh, it just works that way. It's, that's the kind of games that get the most uh, attention. Whatever game, you know, becomes the most popular first, that's the game everyone will ape of. And, and that's the game that will, those games will have more success than the games that doesn't ape of that. So, yeah, that's my opinion at least. But yeah, I think we're, I think we're done actually. I think we've uh, sort of, uh, 
we 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 talked ourselves uh, blue in the face about uh, Bioshock Two and and multiplayer. In, uh, yeah, <laughs> come on, Ben. Lead us out some more, first and foremost, oh. baby. Now, when I was a boy down in uh, Nashville, I I liked to watch my dogs work. Periodically, I would take a hose to them and spray them apart like my mama said I should. But every now and then, I'd take my time with turning on the water. I like to see my little bitch kind of pant along while the dominant male straddles him, much like a hornet toad attached to a life pond. Can't really be good for you. Then again, you are a golem, killing little kids. And by the way, you killing those little kids, I was mighty fine and pleased seeing you do that. Hmm. Talking about all that footage going to the spank bank, I'll tell you that much. <sighs> so what right, was about... Guys. <laughs> Alright, goodbye. This is Spoiler Alert Episode 2, Bioshock 2. Next week, or next next week, we'll have Heavy Rain. Uh, so we'll see you then. Bye. Hey. Spank, spank. <laughs>